0: you know it was really through my burnout that i learned about psychedelics and each medicine has its own so psilocybin is beautiful when you use it in nature i was done feeling so well you know so Mm -hmm. dark and not myself and um and this is it showed me my way to myself and i have nothing but gratitude
1: Yo, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of The Good Trip Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Pella, coming to you from this weird Airbnb spot out in Austin, Texas. Had to record this week's intro on my phone because the media got a little mixed up. Um, I blame Bill Gates or whoever the new person is to blame in the world. Uh, I blame them. But... I'm very excited to bring you this week's episode because I had the chance to sit down with Dr. Lita Fatemi, an incredible human being doing incredible work as a conscious physician and plant medicine expert. Uh, She also does uh, a whole lot of other things that we get into uh, in addition to taking a deep dive into her journey from an immigrant family, coming to the U.S. in her early teen years, all the way through becoming a practicing physician and a doctor and a plant medicine expert and and having her own psychedelic experiences maybe a little bit later in life than most people do and, and then figuring out a way to put her experiences into practice and help integrate healing into other people's lives in some really rich and unique ways. And I was honored for the chance. To connect with Dr. Lita and I am so excited to be able to bring that conversation to you now. Also if you're in San Diego, California I'll be shooting my debut comedy special out there May 19th and 20th at the Mic Drop Comedy Club. Also going on tour this whole summer uh, and spring with a bunch of shows at a few music festivals and up and down California in addition to New York, Florida, Texas, Chicago, adding a few more dates soon. All will be available at brentpella.com slash shows but this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy. Now I travel across the country doing stand-up shows at night on all different sides of America. The East Coast, the West Coast, the Middle West, Middle East, all the all, all the different places. So my body is always trying to get used to different time zones, which means my rest and my recovery and my sleep is constantly being affected. That's why I bring Doc Parsley Sleep Remedy with me on the road because it helps me ease into sleep with its natural ingredients, including L-tryptophan, magnesium, and other key compounds that can help your body ease into a relaxed state and assist in you waking up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the next day. It comes in teabag form or capsule form, so if you don't like drinking a bunch of water late at night, get the capsules, and cruise over to docparsley.com to learn more about my favorite sleep supplement and get a discount on your order and this episode of the podcast also brought to you by odyssey odyssey is a sparkling energy drink with 85 milligrams of caffeine from green tea that's roughly the same amount of caffeine that you get in a cup of coffee however in my own personal experience the caffeine from green tea that's put into these odyssey sparkling elixir tonics does not give me the jitters and and the anxiety that caffeine usually does when i'm chugging a bunch of coffee uh odyssey is also made with 2500 milligrams of mushrooms not magic mushrooms not yet anyways as you might find out when i talk to the ceo of odyssey scott froman a little bit later in the good trip podcast series uh this energy drink has lion's mane and cordyceps designed specifically to free your mind stimulate your mind and give you a smooth energy that can last you through the day you can find odyssey in a whole bunch of stores if you head to odysseyelixir.com uh also check out amazon because they ship through amazon so you can get odyssey delivered directly to your door incorporate odyssey into your life to get a swift boost of energy and your life might just become an odyssey how fun is that? Right now it's time to bring you one of my favorite conversations I've ever had with my good friend, Dr. Lita Fatem. Why why did your parents move out to the US? Was, from, it, was it because from, of the, the regime and just the yeah. absolute lack of space between religion and politics?
0: Absolutely. Absolute lack. I mean, there is yeah. like it's one and it's the same, you know. And yeah. that's why it's so dangerous, right? To even when when in America we talk about, oh, religion and state, I'm like. <laughs> I have this like response.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do it. It's yeah.
2: A terrible idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. So okay, so you're a teenager in the US. You're meditating. Um did 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 you find a friend group that shared any of those common interests in, in terms of spirituality or meditation or mindfulness?
0: You know, it's a great question. You know, back in Georgia, there were some a few friends that my parents had And we had, you know, connections, like, that we were comfortable talking about such things, you know, because in Iran, I had to censor myself, like, I couldn't tell my cousins that I meditate. How crazy is that? Because, oh, your dad might disappear tomorrow. Like, what in the world, right?
1: Wow, yeah.
0: So messed up. Um, So, you know, for me to be okay to speak about any of this, like, open up my throat chakra has taken years of work. It is it has been a challenge for a very long time for many years it's really very recently that i'm like huh, i'm out here
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's good that's good it doesn't matter how long it takes as long as that's the end result as totally. as long as you end up coming out of that shell that's great yeah, so yeah. what would you what would you do after high school
0: after high school i went to emory emory university studied neuroscience and behavioral biology loved neuroplasticity and like how the neurons speak to each other and behavior how how does our environment and our behavior affect our neurochemistry how does our neurochemistry how, how do our thoughts affect our neurochemistry and our neurohormones and our body and how we c- connect with each other um you know um took a very interesting class um it was um neuroscience of addiction and I found that fascinating I found that fascinating taught by an awesome professor um but yeah that's what I did after high school that was fun stuff
1: that's great, and yeah. and, and uh, what uh, I wanted to bring this up toward the beginning, but I just thought of it now. In your um, email, when we were emailing back and forth, the first thing that comes up in the from space is just conscious. It's just conscious. There's no. It's not even doc. Doesn't have conscious position. <laughs> it doesn't have conscious doc. It just says conscious. So I felt like when I got my email back from you, I was talking to the universe. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> uh, what what? Uh, did, I had no idea, you- by the
2: way. I've yeah, no yeah. it's really up. cool. So
1: just know that every time oh. you email somebody, they just see that they're talking to consciousness. And I think that's that's very good branding, I think. It's very <laughs> good branding. <laughs> yeah. Now, growing up, um, when you were a teenager, uh, going through high school, you're in Atlanta. What part of Atlanta were you in?
0: We're in Marietta, like the northern part of... Okay, the, cool. Um, yeah, so suburban. So,
1: suburban area, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there kind of a... Did did you have any interactions with people that were practicing with psychedelics or had interest in in any type of alternative medicines, or was it very much a kind of rigid system of medicine that you were um, digesting and and consuming in your readings, very rigid. And learnings? Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Very rigid, very rigid, very conservative. You know, and the Southeast, it's very religious, very segregated still. I think it's changing, um, but it's still um, when I was there, it was very rigid, very rigid. I want to say the only time that I came across any alternative, you know, ways of living or even nutrition was a couple of our friends who, you know, I think they were in their 30s. It was a couple who had gone through a very difficult health or and disease path. And they had been on all kinds of medications when they were young and you know, early 20s, and they were done with it. So they found alternative ways of dealing with their illnesses. Um, using homeopathy, using herbal medicines, using nutrition to get through and stop the medications that they were on. So they taught me a lot about mm. that which I am so grateful for. You know, I when,
1: when when was this sorry? Were you a teenager when this I was
0: happened? a teenager. I was babysitting for them and um they were, you know, they were in in our spiritual community. So your meditation was a part of that. And great people, great people. Um so yeah, this was when I was a teenager and I learned so much. Um I learned English with them. I learned a lot about nutrition from them. Like organic foods were not a thing back then um and they taught me that they should be a thing mm-hmm. um they taught me about Garden of life I don't know if you know that brand but it's yeah. you know yeah um it, it was just starting to to pick up you know read that book you know so I was I was very interested in in this realm generally speaking it just was not very available. In a formal sense, for me to go into it. And you know, you think about like the prestige of being a physician versus like, you know, alternative medicine, something or, you know, naturopath. The stigma is there still, which is mind blowing to me. I do get it that, you know, in the medical route, there is such vigorous um, training to a fault honestly because it's 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 um traumatizing mm. you know um and that's that's going that's changing as we speak about it that's changing but it's taking time because these fields tend to be so traditional and so set in their ways it just takes a long time usually to you know to change pr- uh the trajectory for them um but yeah i had i had that little Bit of hey, here is the you know bit of like alternative life, you know, and I took it on fully. I loved it, absolutely loved it.
1: That's so awesome, and yeah, there is uh, this this stigma is really strange because I have a lot of friends that work in like the quote holistic wellness space or like the uh, you know ancestral nutrition, and then I have other friends where if I tell them, oh yeah, my buddy does holistic medicine, they'll be like, oh, so he's a witch? So he practices? He does spells? <laughs> like what does that mean? Holistic? He does? you know, he sacrifices goats and eats rhino (laughs) horns or what? And like, maybe, but also (laughs) there's so much more that's happening in that space. Um, so it's really cool. So, so you, when you went to Emory and you started studying, uh, behavioral science and, um, what was it? Neuro, neurochemistry, neuroscience,
0: Neuroscience. neurobiology and behavioral. Yeah.
1: And, and was that your undergrad study? That
0: was my undergrad. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. And and did you, when when you got into that field, did you start to look around and wonder, like, what what, what were your thoughts when you started getting into that field in regards to what everybody around you was studying, and mm-hmm. what you were encouraged to be studying? Like, did you find excitement in what you were studying? Or did you still feel like there were more layers to be peeled off of this kind of journey that you were on?
0: Yeah, I I loved what I was studying. I found it fascinating. You know, when I started studying at Emory, this, this major became available like two years before I signed up for it. It was a replica of what was happening at UC Davis for some years. That's where I'm from. (gasps) yes my husband went to uc davis
1: oh cool yeah born and raised oh i love it there (gasps) yeah
0: yeah amazing we visited the campus a few times it is awesome and i remember studying some of the research from uc davis and i was just mind blown i was like what this is incredible you know and You know, I think part of my subconscious being in the spiritual realm is like, you know, that connection of spirituality and how our brain works and how is this being being operated, you know? Totally. Um, But I just found, honestly, I found the whole thing so fascinating and so curious in that moment that I just had so many questions about what was in front of me. There was nothing else I was thinking about really, like, you know, about I didn't even know about psychedelics, like until later on in my life you know wow Um, yeah Yeah. that's super
1: cool did you keep in touch with your grandfather through this time
0: yeah you know he had died by that time so when i was 12 he died then when i was 14 we came here and um he was you know yeah he had died but in touch still with my family in iran my my grandmother was a force you know he she was a lioness you know she was alive until july of 2022 at 97 and going amazing. strong you know amazing human so she she had a lot to do with my like you know zest for life she had this vitality about her she was not an academic at all she's like fuck academia <laughs> <laughs> she's like that's why i married a doctor you know so i would i would have to take another test in my life
1: <laughs> awesome that's hilarious yeah <laughs> Super cool. Uh, So, okay. So you're doing your undergrad studies. And at what point did you start to get an interest or at least get a whiff of psychedelics in in kind of connection to the health space that you were in?
0: Sure. It wasn't until I had been, I was in residency. So finished undergrad, got my master's in public health at Emory um, and you know, population health understood that that's a really cool thing that so, so grateful for it was able to travel to Kenya, live there for a couple of months with a local family. Whoa. Life changing. What'd you do
1: out in Kenya? That's so cool. I would,
0: yeah. I was studying, um, as a part of my research for my master's, I was studying HIV, um, and the economic implications for the country. Um, you know, in the volunteer counseling and testing centers and, you know, it's t- more t- it's technical. But in in that world, you know, so we went to like the slums and hung out with the people. And it was like, holy mother, I've never, you know, coming from a third world country myself, I've seen poverty at its worst, you know. And then you go into um, these very difficult situations. And you're like, Oh, what have we done to humanity? You know, Mm. and your heart just aches, you know, because this is a doing of humans to humans. It's not this is not natural, right? Yeah. Anyways, uh, that opened up my eyes, you know, from this idealistic young person to like, holy shit, this is life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came to New Mexico for my resident. Oh, I did my medical school in at um, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, they have a branch campus out in Atlanta, finished that and got matched into a residency program out in New Mexico at University of New Mexico. And I loved it. I loved every moment of being at this program, was super involved in advocacy um, for physicians here and for patients. Um, and during my residency is when I met my husband. And during this time together, um, I also got to know, hey, cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> you <know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> can you imagine i was it was my early 30s that i just became familiar with them. i'm like oh, so whoa. you
1: you never tried weed mm, or anything never. up until your 30s
0: never not eat alcohol was the only thing i tried and i was like i don't need alcohol i'm the, I'm the party like whatever yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> i don't need this like people are chugging you know their alcohol i'm like on the dance floor dancing you know totally. uh don't. like that to loosen up It's life is good it's beautiful you know um but yeah you know marijuana like really opened up my eyes i was like what is <laughs> happening <laughs> and so when i saw your bit on dare on yeah. youtube i laughed so hard when you oh, brought cool. up. Uh, every every drug that you talked i was like he's
2: so right on it's crazy <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny you know i didn't smoke weed until i was 18 and i thought i was a late bloomer like oh, all, all my friends smoked, everybody smoked that I was around, but I was always nervous. You know, I played sports my whole life. So I always had this weird thing in my head about the smoke with my lungs. And sure. um so when I turned 18, I tried a little bit of weed, didn't really like it. Now I smoke weed once in a while before mm-hmm. bed or if I'm watching a movie or something. Mm-hmm. Um But when you tried it in your early 30s, that must have been like mind expanding. Like did that just... Just expand your brain into what else could be out there. If weed is this good, there's got to be more. Huge,
0: huge. I, it was a very psychedelic experience. You know, mm. people don't put weed into the psychedelic category, and it absolutely is definitely a psychedelic. You know, every time you use it, it's a different thing. You can have visual hallucinations on it. You can have out-of-body experiences on it. You can, especially with the edibles, you know, um, mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 definitely a psychedelic um and you know i i i was so weary of the drug world that i did not wonder about anything else <laughs> to mm-hmm. be honest with you what um, what, what do you I think was,
1: made you so wary and, and hesitant
0: my culture mm-hmm. growing up in the persian culture you know iranians are tend to be very anti drugs and especially living in an islamic world where you know state and religion are the same and they're like no drugs you know it's like if you use drugs you're a bad person it's your character that's flawed you have sinned you're going to hell you know
2: wow um, yeah.
0: that kind of rhetoric um but it was you know it was really through my burnout that i learned about psychedelics um so i finished residency came out um, as an attending, um, started my practice at University of New Mexico as a hospitalist and felt so isolated, you know, from the rest of the world where I was in a cohort during my residency. I was in a cohort in my med student years and and before then too. And I just didn't have a community anymore. That was a huge thing. Um, and, you know, in the practice of medicine, you are selling part of your soul away to a system that you're in. You know, if you don't agree with the way a patient's treatment is going, or like, oh, hey, we need to send them home, like, let them die at home, or like, that's really the most ethical thing. And you can't do those things. It's like a self betrayal that happens. And as you can imagine in your training, in our training, there's just so much self betrayal that happens through time. And you keep taking that on, taking that on, taking that. And then until I didn't even know who I was anymore. I was like, fuck, who is this person who's bitter, depressed, like anxious? I was like, whoa, what is happening? And it was just these small betrayals over time that just added up huge. And I hadn't taken care of them, you know. Plus, you know, my childhood micro traumas of living in war for the first eight years of my life, of living under this. Theocratic terrorist regime, um, super oppressive. Um, and that's when I started also looking at the research behind psychedelics and seeing how powerful they can be. When, you know, reading the articles in, fr- from Johns Hopkins published in 2015, talking about with one single dose, you are taking away the fear of death at the end of life for terminally ill patients. Mind blown. Mm-hmm. mind blown and then we're looking at Yale studies looking at neuroplasticity in, in individuals you know when we we look at rat brains their cortex decreases in size when they're depressed and they have learned helplessness in these studies you give them a psychedelic like psilocybin or mushrooms their brain size actually increases so we're seeing neurogeneration new neurons being formed neuroplasticity new dendrites are forming new new synapses are forming and the brain size is increasing holy shit what like as a physician i can't even i can't tell you how exciting that is and as someone who knows about neuroscience um and back when i was at emory studying all those things we were so narrow minded and did not we thought neuroplasticity stops at a certain age maybe at 25 when your prefrontal cortex gets all like wired up you're done you're done growing you're done changing you know and we thought that neuroplasticity only existed in songbirds where there were seasonal variations in how they would sing their songs for mating and things like that and we would see the changes in their brain and and you know fast forward to now and I'm like um yeah, or 2015 or before that. It's like we've had these studies, you know, we just stopped looking at them because of the war on drugs and the, you know, control yeah. act of nineteen seventy. Um, so this is ugh, fascinating, you know. It is.
1: It's insane. It's great. Now, okay, this is that's super cool. Neurons, dendrites, and synapses. <laughs> Three really cool words, two of which I kind of know about, one of which I have no idea what that is. That's a dendrite. And I, I would love to get into some more specific information in regards to the rat studies. Um, and, and maybe you could break down what those three term terms mean and how to use those terminologies when we discuss the benefits that medicines like psilocybin can have on the brain.
0: Absolutely. So when we're looking at a neuron neurons are everywhere they start in our brain and we have a neuronal body which is kind of the nucleus is round thing and it has a projection that goes out kind of like a tree trunk and that is your axon that's um you around the axon you have the 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 myelin sheath which is a fat fat wrap pretty much around that so that the signal from the body can go down or the other direction you have dendrites. So dendrites are like the, the branches of a tree. Is it kind of
1: like tentacles? Yes. If you imagine a squid or an octopus?
0: Yes. In different directions usually is what we're seeing. The axon is like thicker. That's what I'm talking about. It's more like the, the trunk. And then the dendrites tend to be thinner projections Um, that, yeah, absolutely, it's like an octopus that's, you know, collecting data, and like, you know, uh, and then, you know, you have, um, it's it's so cool, fascinating, and so at the end of the axon, you have a synapse that connects to another neuron through a dendrite, so it's um, in that synaptic cleft in that area of um, the synapses hooking up to each other, they don't, they never really touch, they, they have a tiny bit of distance, where one, the axon releases certain neurotransmitters, and the dendrite on the other end picks it up. And that creates an action potential, this electrical activity down into the next neuron. And that's how the neurons communicate with each other. Awesome. I have not explained that in a very long time. That so. <laughs> was
1: really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a visual learner. So that's why I bring up a squid or an octopus, but I think you nailed it. That was really cool. Awesome. So now how, 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 uh, psilocybin, um, and, and other, uh, substances as well, do they strengthen those connections? Do they create new ones? What, is, what is the physical benefit that's, that's happening within the brain?
0: That's a great question. So a lot of what you're talking about is under research, okay? So cool. that's that's number one. Um, we know psilocybin or mushrooms, they act at the 5-HT2A receptors, which is one of many serotonin receptors, the receptors that exist in the brain. And what we're seeing is activity of... Um, When you ingest psilocybin in the mushroom form, the body breaks it down into a compound called psilocin. That is what we see go into the brain and sit on the receptor that I'm talking about. So it's a subtype of a serotonin receptor. We've all heard about like antidepressants affecting serotonin levels, you know, things like that. And that's what we're seeing the effects of um, psilocybin to be. Now, the question of does it increase the level of serotonin? Does it increase the number of receptors? Those are some of the questions that are being, you know, asked. Um, And then what happens thereafter is another question. You know, we do see on brain imaging for pretty much all psychedelics when an individual is especially on a high dose. We look at functional MRI studies where we look at how the brain is connecting to each other, different parts of the brain is connecting to each other. As we're talking right now, usually what we see is like particular parts of the brain that light up one at a time, maybe. When you are on a you're using a psychedelic, we see brain coherence where we see all parts of the brain connecting with each other. And Mm. these new uh, connections are forming that we're like, wow, we don't really understand it right now. Um, There's a ton of research going on, which is so cool, so cool. But different uh, medicines affect different receptors. So ketamine affects the NMDA receptors. That's a whole different thing. Um, LSD affects some other subtypes. But psilocybin is one that we have a lot more information about, and that's the serotonin receptors that it affects.
1: Awesome. That's super cool. Now you're in your early 30s. You just smoked weed and saw God for the very first time. What, um, (laughs) what, What was the next like a uh, step toward trying some of these other substances that for your entire adult life up until then you had been hesitant or wary about like what was there yeah. somebody specific in your life that encouraged this in any way was or or did you kind of independently seek out new experiences now that you had such a positive time with marijuana
0: sure you know i was um i think i think the next one was psilocybin i want to say um you know, I had a um, – I can't use names because I don't know if these individuals sure. yeah, are yeah, yeah. with it. But I did have a community of um, um, like sort of like guides, I want to say, who were very trustworthy. And they they had been in my life. And I, I knew I could trust. And, they, tr- you know, there was just that mutual knowing that you're going to be there for each other, you know. And not lead me astray.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: because I also had this experience like with marijuana, these kids in college just get fucking high, and then they act so stupid. And I'm like, what why are we acting so stupid? And some guy like fell off the roof somewhere, like at Emory, and became a paraplegic. And I'm like, This is not okay. Like, what what's happening? Mm-hmm. You know? And so part of it was that in me where I just didn't trust just anyone, you know, I still don't, I'm extremely selective with who I choose to be close to because we exchange energies, you know, we mirror each other and all of that. And so, um, it was a trusted crew of people who, um, you know, very lovingly and very openly told me about the science behind it, told me about the, um, you know, and introduced me into the experiences, you know, uh, in, in a very beautiful set and setting, Um, I think that's a huge, huge deal to, um, to know like what is the right sense setting and each medicine has its own. So psilocybin is beautiful when you use it in nature, you know, you feel very connected to nature. Um, I think the next one that I used years later was MDMA or Molly or ecstasy and, um, at Coachella. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's like the perfect one that's for Quidditch. the
1: perfect set and setting. Yep. The perfect <laughs> sun
0: setting right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the dancing. And the
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. Totally. Totally. The the sun is out. Of- yep. Everyone's <laughs> hot. It's great.
0: Every- yes. And you feel this rush of just beauty and love and for this world, for this life. At least that's what I felt because I was in the right, um, container. Now, if you're in the wrong container, it can be fucking scary because mm-hmm. your um, um, reality is so different than you're used to, especially if it's your first time, right? You're like, "What the fuck is happening to me?" Instead, oh, yeah. Yeah. right, right. And so, I think that's super important for people to know. Um, that doing it with the right people in the right place in a rejuvenating place, depending on what you're trying to get out of it. Right. I'm in the realm of healing. So everything I talk about is from that lens of, if you're trying to heal your past traumas, don't go into a traumatic environment and open Mm -hmm. yourself up to the world, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that was, that was kind of my, uh, you know, my next ones. And then a burning man, um, I uh, I used LSD, and that's when, in the desert, we were in a humongous storm, and, you know, I was on this hero's journey in this storm, and yeah. I was the eye of the storm, and he, my fears, all my fears, right, they were, the storm, mm-hmm. um, just... Incredible, and that changed my life. That changed my life. Um, I didn't know if I was walking or running or legging
1: <laughs> <running or laughs> totally I, LSD will change your entire set and setting. I mean, regardless of what you're in, I remember the first time I ever tried LSD. Uh, I was late 20s, it was me, my, which wasn't that long ago. Um, but it was me, me and a friend who has had a lot of experience with psychedelics, thankfully. So I felt safe being with him. And we were at Lightning in a Bottle, which is like Burning Man Light. It's you know, it's yeah. it's diet burning man. It's the same type of thing, but it's a little bit smaller. And uh, we split a tab of LSD and it I don't know if it was extra strong or what, but I was in space for 12 hours. It was a ride, it was roller coaster up and down. There were moments I was terrified, but then I would look over at him. And he would smile, and we would talk for a second, and everything would calm down. And he would just remind me that you know, different medicine experiences, regardless of the intention you put into it, the medicine might have an intention of its own for you, and your body might have a different intention than what you're hoping will happen. And so you might just need to, yeah, have an intention, but also accept whatever happens during the trip, during the experience. And uh, as long as you're with somebody that you can rely on and, and feel safe around, yeah, that's super important for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's super yeah. important because it's it's such uncharted territory, mm-hmm. and you have to somehow navigate. Um, yeah, I felt, I felt like I was in the right place, though. You know, if yeah, definitely, definitely. We, right? It's <laughs> that's so funny. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't have a body either, did you? <laughs>
1: uh, no, I had no body. I had I had jelly for legs. I, I mean, I was just I was flying on the dust storm that was passing by. I felt like I got swept up. Every light felt like it was made of liquid. I felt like I was swimming through light. It's crazy. It's crazy. crazy, but but amazing. I mean, at the same time, you know, and that was back then now, after having done LSD uh, more than a couple of times, um, whenever I start to feel these like extreme sensations, I know that they're not here forever. Mm-hmm. And whatever lesson might be involved is one that I need to just take and flow with, mm-hmm. and there's no point in fighting against it because that's how you create a bad trip, you know. Yeah. Um, even even Aubrey Marcus said recently, uh, you know, there 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 really isn't such a thing as like a bad Never. trip, no. right? No. And, and and what what's your because I think his words, which all absolutely brutalized, forgive me, Aubrey, but it, it was something along the lines of even a, a, an experience that is scary or um, intimidating or emotional in, a, in what seems to be a negative way and opens up all this trauma of the past, describing it as a bad trip isn't quite fair because it's, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's not about the trip that you have, but about what you can integrate into your own life after you come out of it and, and how to uh, what you do to process the experiences you had to make yourself a better person. And yeah. so there's, there's always a positive to bring out of it. I'm curious if you've had any of those types of like extreme or almost extreme, seemingly negative experiences and, and how yeah. you've kind of processed those to yeah. integrate them into something positive in your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the same the same trip that I told you about in the in the desert storm.
2: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Um we got separated from my crew and one of the one of the people just, you know, my guardian angel ran over and was with me for I don't know how long. 12 hours, who knows, you know. Um and as I was going through this, I did not feel that Sure, there were moments of challenge, but there was a lot more relief with it than just challenge. because there was this separation of me and my fears that I had lived with for so long. There was a separation of me and my empathy and me always putting everybody else in front of my own needs and sacrificing myself for others um when the journey ended the crew members were like that was a bad trip I was like whoa what whoa what and I was at the moment I wasn't at all familiar with the terminologies or you know a lot of the research that was um you know happening um so when they coined it that and they were very persistent about it. They were like, no, you had, you had a bad trip. I was like, no, but I'm a different person. I have found myself. I have connected with my authentic self. Um, and that is fucking beautiful. Like, how can that be a bad trip, you know? And And then, you know, over the years, it took me, though... It did take me about a year and a half to integrate everything I learned from that journey. Mm. It was a journey that I have gone back to and learned from over the many years. Um, and in fact, you know, the coaching program that I've created is based on what I learned about myself. And that was during the time I was very burnt out, very far away from who I was. And my intention going on this trip into Burning Man was to find myself. I was done feeling so, well, you know, so mm-hmm. dark and not myself. And, um, and this is, it showed me my way to myself and I have nothing but gratitude for it. And um, now that said, it's very, very important to recognize that we all need work beforehand. We need to make sure that if if people want to be a part of this realm, you have to do your due diligence. You can't, it's not just like, oh, yay, I went on this like it was, you know, my mind blown. It can be super dangerous. It can be there's in medical literature, there's about 10% of people who they coined the term adverse reactions to where they come out with, complete mania they Mm. come out in psychosis and they get more traumatized in the medical system that we have because they have to be you know hospitalized in a psych ward which is by itself like i walk in there as a physician and i'm like ooh, i'm traumatized you know so we have to be very careful with um the container that we introduce people um you know, to this world, um, that there's got to be some pre-work, like you got to want this, you got to be willing to do the work that comes after, your life kind of starts afterwards, you know, what am I going to do with all this information that was unveiled from the subconscious where it was tucking everything away, all the trauma that happened to me as a child, or as an adult, for a reason, it was tucked away, right, because Mm -hmm. we can't handle the the weight of it and now i'm choosing to look at it right it's a choice and it's it is the intention to go into it is important now that you're absolutely right the intention of the medicine may be completely different right but the intention that that being puts in, forth is very important um the surrender is everything surrender to it. If you're going to do it, surrender to it. Um, And afterwards, you have to integrate. And there are many different ways to integrate. You may need a community to integrate with. You may need your person to talk to, to integrate with. You need someone or many individuals who you can sit with in a non-judgmental container where you are loved and they're able to sit back and observe you. As you talk about the experience, because you might have seen beings and you might have seen this or you might have seen that. And if you're sitting with someone who's been judgy and they haven't had their own healing, that can be traumatizing itself. Then you're going like, to shut it down again. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it it defeats the purpose of why you you are on this journey to begin with. So it's important to choose the people you're doing this with who are in harmony with you.
1: What, uh, what were some of the first steps you took toward integrating your psychedelic experiences into your work and Ah. kind of, and, and starting to, I don't know if combine is the right word, but you know, you, you, I feel like you, just from hearing you talk about your, your journey, you had a period prior to smoking weed and, and trying mushrooms for the first time where you were doing the work in in medicine, uh, Mm -hmm. and behavioral science. Mm -hmm. and then. You started opening yourself up to these new experiences with your, what I would assume uh, was your group of close friends that were some aspect of advisors slash guides slash resources to help facilitate the experiences. Um, So what what were kind of what was there ever like an aha moment where you were like, oh my god, I need to share this with people, or was Mm -hmm. it more of a gradual? process of integrating these medicines into your work. What was that
0: mm-hmm.
1: combination like in the early stages?
0: Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful question. Um, it it was it took a lot of time, a lot of time. i I was still not in a stage where my throat chakra was open enough to be able to speak about it as um, as easily as I am now. Um, and in fact, I think you're the first person I'm really talking about like this. Oh, awesome.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Hello, throat (laughs) chakra. Thank you for joining us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you
0: for having me. Um, yeah, you know, it took me years. It took me years of a lot of going inside and inner work to integrate these, um, concepts and and what it meant to take care of myself i think that was a really big one because i had learned in my culture to give all to everybody else first and then i'm last or i don't even exist you wow. know though in concept that's a beautiful philosophy right we're giving we're serving and then in the realm of medicine it is all consuming it's all about the other we will never learn about the individual and how this being in order to be on this earth experiencing the things it needs to experience and the fun it's gonna have you gotta fucking take care of it you gotta take care of you gotta optimize your neurobiology by the way you eat and the way you exercise you gotta connect with your body and your experience of life with embodied practices and exercise you have to eat the right amount of water on a Friday night. Yeah, you know. <laughs>
1: yep, yep, yep.
0: <laughs> you gotta do these things. You gotta chop wood and carry water for this being to be whole so that you can do anything else above that. And if anything else above that is extra, I see this taking care of this as absolute number one now. And that's really the huge shift that happened for me. And it's monumental. It is multi-generational where, you know, I was, um, I'm trained in ketamine treatment as well. And in, you know, the session that you have to have the medicine, of course, you know, to be able to guide. So I'm on this, you know, journey and I go back in time and I'm like, oh, my maternal side in Iran was so, you know, except for my grandmother, everyone was put themselves in the back burner, you know, to give and to give and to give and to put the the, the the men on a pedestal, whereas they were super intelligent and they had these incredible powers that if they stood up, man, this world would be a whole different place, you know. But I saw how I carried that in me and I chose, the, you know, after that journey, I was like, whoa. Even the simple things of like me, you know, my son was five months old at the time. And my husband would be like, Hey, let me go change his diaper. I'm like, No, no, I got this. No, you don't. You haven't slept all night, you know, yeah. for the past five fucking months. Your boobs are dying of soreness and you're this <laughs> baby day and night. No, you're not. Let him allow him to help you. And that part, like allowing to, help get help to ask for help to include others in your life who wholeheartedly want to help and you wholeheartedly allow them to do so to love on you it's okay Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. it's wonderful it gives them life purpose it gives you energy you know to be able to serve this life um yeah
1: that's really beautiful that's really really Mm -hmm. cool I mean, what 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 an incredible shift, and and to to also just to be able to ha- recognize that you're experiencing something that's not only changing you for the better, but that you can facilitate for other people to allow yeah. them to change for the better. Uh, so, I, on your website, um, and and like you you told me when we spoke the other day, uh, you you do a lot of in ceremony work with folks. And I'm curious how that started because I've spoken to quite a few doctors um some who do uh, therapy sessions with ketamine or MDMA and you're I'm, I'm I'm interested in what it was like for you when you first started offering guidance with psychedelics and and plant medicines. And if you had any kind of adverse reactions from your immediate community or if there was support all around, like what what was that like when you first started bringing it into your work in a practical mm-hmm. sense?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, first of all, I worked on myself significantly to make sure I do not carry any unresolved trauma.
1: That was oh, that's great. So before, before you brought it into your work and brought it, out into the open to share with other people. How long was that period? Do you think
0: that was years? Years, right? That was yeah, years. That was like maybe th- that was years, like three years. years.
2: Yeah, that's great. You know, to get myself
0: yeah. to a point of I didn't even know that's what I was doing. It was just I was just dealing with my own stuff, you know, my own inner turmoil, anxiety, whatever it was coming. It was as a symptom of of a deeper thing that I needed to pay attention to and using, um, these medicines, um, consciously, consciously, I was never like, Oh, let's like do all these different types of, let's stack them and let's see where we go. It wasn't about, it was like, Hey, be very, it's, these are gems. These are, um, absolute gifts that are given to us that, um, I revered. And I mm-hmm. still do. I revere these medicines, um, and you know, I approach it from that space too, because that's really that my own direct experience of healing my own traumas. Um, but it has allowed me to be in the space of serving others. Otherwise, there's no way I would be holding space for anybody. It's to, it, for me it would be irresponsible. Mm-hmm. But I'm like I hold myself to ridiculous standards, you know, of my own. It has nothing to do with society. It has nothing, it has to do with, can I live with myself? You know, if I, uh, if I do this work, this is dangerous. Like it can't yeah. be, you know, Um, you're opening up all kinds of stuff. And um, yeah, so it took years for me to get through my own traumas and to heal through them and to learn what I needed to learn. And then I just knew when you know I had a session with psilocybin high dose at a river, and um I went and bathed in the river, and I that's that was the moment I knew I was here to bring serenity to this world. I was here to alleviate suffering. Um, and I took that on and I took it slow. It was none of it was, you know, we think in in modern world everything is like with a snap of a finger go 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 you know and in this realm not so much it's ancient it's taken a very long time to be here to do what it does and to honor it as such and to take Mm -hmm. our time with it you know this is one of the greatest lessons i've learned Patience. patience patience and to allow the seeds to grow and to nourish those seeds and to water them and take care of them and give them sunshine and, um, really cherish them. Um, so yes, it took me, um, e- long to even, you know, develop my practice around it after my own healing. Um, I started offering this to my loved ones first. Cool. Yeah. It was not the, you know, general public. I was like, no, this is a very special thing. Um, and yeah, that's where I started.
1: Was it um did did you start with we we spoke a bit about microdosing? Mm-hmm. Um you have experience microdosing? Yes. So so I, I I've I have been doing a, a microdose protocol for about two years based mm-hmm. on a recommendation from a good friend of mine who I trust very much and I've gotten a great benefit from it. Um, but I've also met people who I tell them about what I'm doing and how much and what's in it, and they scoff and they say, Oh, that's not enough. You, you, and 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 so I, I wonder: Is there like a baseline for a microdose? I know it's different because everybody's body is different. We're all made up of a different amount of protein and water. But I'm curious what your philosophy is toward microdosing, both in the theoretic sense and in like the practical use sense. Do you think there's a specific protocol that people that that has worked best from your perspective? Is there a right approach? Is there a wrong approach?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And this is
1: not medical advice. This is not medical advice. No, no, no. It's not
0: medical (laughs) advice at all. No, there's not much research behind this at all. Like, which I've shared is medical advice. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put a disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) But... um. Yeah. You know, that's it. That's a question I get asked very, very commonly. And I coach people on this, actually. This is part of my coaching program. I only do this work with people who live in Oregon and Colorado for now just because it's legalized there.
2: Right. People right. In
0: South America and Central America because, you know, the law doesn't really consider psilocybin a thing. You know, it's like, oh, it's part of nature, whatever. You know, it's such a huge part of their culture ancient culture. So with that, there are not very conclusive research studies looking at like a randomized controlled trial on microdosing. That said, um, what has i've seen is you know people say oh take it one day in a week you know take it twice a week or take it three days in a row and then take four days off or take it five days on and two days off or take it for whole 30 days and then don't take it at all you know um so there's a ton of variation how do we navigate that is through feel feel it Mm. the wrong approach is to listen to other people telling you you're doing it wrong.
1: <laughs> right, right, right.
0: How do you feel? Do you feel good when you're taking it? Does your intuition tell you, "Hey, Brent, this is the this this feels good. This is what I'm going to continue doing," or "Hey, maybe this is a little too much today. Maybe I want half of that. Maybe on this particular day when I feel this way." I will take a sprinkle of the capsule. Mm. Uh, maybe on this particular day, like I'm feeling like I need a whole cap. Maybe I need two capsules. Um, it's feel and reflect. We're animals. If you were an octopus, what would you do? Right. You know, you would feel. And from that feel, that's the, the um, communication, that inner communication is really, really important for us to be in connection with,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but yeah, I hope that answers your. That's question. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it totally yeah. does. Yeah, and um, also on, on on your website, and you you touched on this earlier too. You talk a bit about um, burnout, mm-hmm. and and specifically, there's mention of of a mother's burnout on your website and how you have uh, uh, offerings to to help and and to guide. Uh, mothers and and moms and and I have a mom and she's awesome, and she's definitely been burnt out before and I've seen it because yeah. she put two kids through college. I don't think mm-hmm. you can do that without getting burnt out. You know, no, a single mom can't do that without gosh. getting some burnout. So, where where did uh, the inspiration come from? To to I mean, it, uh, of course, it came from within you. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I would love to hear a bit more about. your Your intentions to specifically help mothers and and folks that are going through burnout and maybe what burnout means to you and and how you've seen psychedelics help in in that realm. Yeah.
0: First of all, wow to your mom. That's a strong mama. Oh,
1: she's the best. She's the best.
0: I hope you call her every day and you tell her how much you love her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will. After this, I I will. I promise. I was just with her for three weeks straight, so she knows.
0: No, that's, that's incredible. You know, I was for a period of time, I was a single mom in residency, my first marriage, um, we're just not on the same growth path. So when I moved to New Mexico, I became a single mom, I filed for divorce at the end of my first year as a resident. And my daughter, at the time was four and a half. Now the key to survival was my parents was the community around, you know, Um, even with that. I got burnt out later on. Um, I think burnout is just a symptom of m- much deeper stuff within that we haven't looked at. Um, it's, just, it's just like depression. Oh, I feel depressed. Well, I don't feel joy out of life. Well, why? What What is the source of that? Oh, I feel anxious in, in groups of people or, you know, I have social anxiety. That's not you. That's something you feel, your consciousness, you're the observer, but it's something that comes and goes. And why? Why is it coming more often than leaving, right? Why is it right. here in? You? Because all of this burnout, depression, all of these things come and go just like feelings, just like, you know, psychedelics show us that things are changing. The only constant in life is change. And psychedelics show us that. Firsthand and you experience that fully, right? Um, and that's what burnout is. It's just a symptom of what is going on within. And it's it's a flag of hey, I'm getting there. What is your body is telling what is your body telling you? What is your psyche telling you? What is your emotions telling you? Are you feeling all the feels? Are you in touch with yourself? Do you feel dissociated? And W- sit with all of those things and ask them what they're teaching you. What is that anxiety teaching you about yourself? I get migraines. <laughs> A few days ago I had this like migraine that ran for 36 hours and I first 24 hours I took all kinds of meds. My Tylenol and da da da, you know. And the second day I kept having it. I was like, I'm not taking anything. I'm not numbing it. I'm going to sit with my migraine. And I sat with her and I was like, what do you have to teach me? Come.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Come, like a wave. Just like show yeah. me what
2: you got. You and know? that's
1: so cool because, you know, in Western society specifically, I feel like we're so conditioned to fight against emotions. To to If we're feeling bad, what can we do to force this bad emotion out? How can I run from it and do something else to distract? Or how can I fight against it? Or what can I do to ignore it? And that's been a huge part of my own evolution with mm-hmm. these medicines over the past few years is is sitting in in the feeling mm-hmm. and allowing that anxiety yeah. to just, and, but looking at it, not yeah. becoming it, sure. but feel feeling it inside, looking at it from the outside and saying, hey, I see you, dude. I see you. I see you trying to fuck up my day right now. <laughs> I see you trying to mess with me, bro. You're trying to make me go look at my view counts and my following and the success that these other people have. And you're trying to make me think about all these things. I ain't gonna do it. I'm gonna talk to you though. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out with you. Yeah. You know? And yes! it, it really, I think that's beautiful. That's such a great way to describe it because specifically in West and I'm actually it what about in Iranian culture? Is there is there a, a um a a behavioral strategy toward approaching negative emotions? Um, Like, is it similar to Western? Is it different?
0: You know, we tend to feel really hard, like super passionate, super passionate. Mm. That was my previous generation, I feel like, though. The generation I grew up with was all about you don't feel because of this terrorist regime because that became culture. Being part of our culture, you know, but you know, like at funerals, people cry their hearts out, you know. But then I, as a kid, I was told not to cry at my grandfather's funeral, you know. Oh, don't, don't do it. Like it's not good to, you know, to show your feelings. So I feel like it's a weird mixture, you know. And some of it's weird. But behavioral health is when I was growing up, there was non-existent. In fact, talking about depression was a taboo. No one's depressed you know um there's this pride this national pride that look like, persians are like you know they're indestructible or something crazy and <laughs> and
2: totally.
0: i think it's now it, it's a wave that's coming as we're seeing this revolution happen in iran the woman-led revolution which is freaking fascinating mm-hmm. uh and this birth you know but as this is happening we're seeing people engage with mindfulness and meditation more to be able to regulate their emotional um changes that are, they're feeling. I mean, I can't imagine what they're going through over there. Like I feel them, but holy shit, when you have your kid die like that, I, I can't even, you know, get yeah. tortured. And anyways, I hold them with all my heart. Like that's all I can do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I talk about it. I talk about it to people. Um, but yeah, that's the answer to my, you know, culturally, it's um it's a weird situation. <laughs>
1: It's yeah using it is yeah i get it uh, well i don't get it but i'm trying to um yeah. i what i do get is the western approach because yeah. that's how i was raised it was very much you know that's the whole um the uh, uh borderline toxic nature of competitiveness mm. in in western culture i think has led to this feeling that if you feel an emotion that has a negative connotation you need to stuff it down and hide it because it's going to yeah. hinder your development and evolution toward becoming the best at whatever you're trying to do. Yes. And I don't I think for me sitting with my emotion now over the in the past 7 to 8 years of 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 um experience with with these medicines and substances has allowed me to become good at what i do by sitting in these emotions and feeling them and and evolving with them instead of shutting them down shutting them out running from them and it's a constant struggle it's still yeah. and i think it always will be i don't think anybody ever Mm-mm. truly wins mm-hmm. this it's not a battle i don't think that's the right word but it's it's more like a evolution you don't win an evolution you know no, you can't no, you don't no. win at evolution you just keep evolving Right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So
1: that that's what's been so exciting about um, this whole process, and and yeah. that's why I really love what you do with it too.
0: Thank you, thank you. And you know, as you say, it's um, you become more of what y- where you want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, where you have days where you're up and down and up and down. Um, it becomes more of what you intended to be. Like, hey, I want to sit through this emotion and let it go. That's also really important to let it go, to allow it to come and let it go too. like a wave, just like Mm -hmm. allow this wave to come through you. Um, But it's, you know, and then the days become more of this like, okay, I'm in a good space more times than not. And how amazing is that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What
0: else do we want?
1: Yeah. It's beautiful. It's great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now there's, there's so much happening in the present, in the right now. And and as we wrap this up, um, I want to talk to you a bit about like the big picture because in the present, in the right now, there's amazing things happening. You know, there's maps is, is in stage three trials with MDMA and they're trying to think of brand names for Molly, which is incredible. Um, places like Colorado and Oregon have already woken up and are hopefully bringing the rest of the country with them. Shout out to Texas. You guys need to legalize weed. Um, but it, i'm i'm curious what what you see cuz you're in the thick of it. Yeah. You have you have a practice, you have a discernible thumbprint, fingerprint on what's happening right now and it's fucking amazing. So Thank what you. do you see happening like big picture picture in the next couple of decades mm-hmm. in this like renaissance period that we're in? Do you do you see a a, a widespread change in the country and the world? How do you see that happen. I know that's kind of vague and generic. No, it's
0: great. It's great. I see it becoming common medical practice. I see it um, as common education in our addiction fellowships or medical schools um, to become a part of how we practice medicine. Number one, the physician needs to go through these trials themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Heal yourself before you try to heal others. And um, I see a huge shift for medicine. I see a huge shift in humanity and in the level of consciousness. Um, and what that means for our planet is humongous um, because, you know, if we are living this life from a traumatic space, uh, a trauma-informed space, then we project that to the next generations. If we are living a healed life then we're healing the next generations and how they're taking care of this planet and how we're taking care of this planet and how we're taking that responsibility upon ourselves. So I see a huge shift, not only in the United States in the next two decades, it's, you know, Europe is already looking at us and they're like, thank you so much for doing this research because we are so closed off to it. Like Switzerland is super closed. You know, so many of these countries, super closed you know, uh, Russia super closed. So I think this is a huge shift in, in humanity and in the United States, we're leading that path. It's magnificent. It's fantastic.
1: That's beautiful. And and it's a great path to be on. Yeah. Super exciting. Super exciting. Is there anything else that, that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? No, I would love to learn more about you, but you know, like, you know, Oh, we can do that anytime. (laughs) Y'all know about me. I'm not, I'm not exciting anymore. Um, It's
0: so exciting. Look at what you're doing. It's amazing. It's a blast.
1: Yeah. Next time you come out to LA to visit Dr. Gary, we'll all have to hang out.
0: Totally. That would be be super fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find your work and, and learn a bit more about what you do?
0: Yeah, you know, you can, I'm in the, in the midst of changing my website to drlidafatemi.com. So right now I have two different websites. One is conscious physician. One is Family. So, you know, if you want to gain more information about what I do, I do coaching plus medicine. Um, and you can reach to, reach out to me um, through my email. I make it simple. Lidafatemi.com at (laughs) gmail.com.
1: L-I-D-A-F-A-T-E-M-I. Yes. Lita Fatemi. We love it. Dr. Lita, everybody. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode it was a pleasure to record it's an honor to be able to share this conversation with y'all and i hope y'all got so much out of it you can check out more of dr fatemi's work at drlida.family that's drlid Family, and you can check me out on tour uh, all the dates and ticket links will be at Brentpellet.com/slash shows otherwise i appreciate y'all i love y'all so much and i'll see you next week